With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Kamadaf Samach Aleph, page 61. We begin three lines in at the words Bishlam and Amar. So, just a little bit of a background to get us back up to speed. So, we had three different understandings of what the question was of King David when he sent a question to the Sanhedrin, to the great sages of his generation. So the first version of the question was that he was asking a group of his soldiers had lit a haystack on fire and it caused damage to something that was hidden inside. The question was if there was an obligation to pay for the damages of those things that were hidden. The second version of the question was that he wanted to know if he had the right, being that there were Philistines who were hiding inside of some Jewish people's haystacks, if he was allowed to burn down those haystacks, damage the property that belonged to a Jew, in order to save their own lives. So, and the third question, the third version of the question was that he wanted to know if he could take the haystacks of the Jews in order to feed their own animals and then replace those haystacks with the haystacks that belonged to the Philistines. Now, the first answer was answered with a halachic answer, whatever the answer precisely was, whether there was an obligation or not, whether it was like Rabbi Huda or the rabbis. The second two answers were answered that it's not permitted to do it. However, since he's a king, theoretically he could. Now, the Gemara says, It's good according to the ones who said the second two versions of the question, that the question had to do with whether it was permitted for him to cause damage or take away something that belonged to a Jew. So then we understand, the verse that says, that David didn't drink the waters, meaning he didn't listen to what the Sanhedrin said. Because what had the Sanhedrin said? They had said that it's not permitted for, for a normal person to do, but since he was a king, he could do it. So he says, since there is a forbidden nature to this thing in regards to other people, so I'm not interested in doing this, I'm not going to do this, being that it involves something which is not so kosher. And according to the one who says that the question had to do with whether or not it was necessary for them to pay for something that was hidden in the fire let's try to figure things out here they sent him a halacha what does it mean that he didn't do what they said he didn't want to take the drink it sounds like he didn't want to do what the halacha was why wouldn't he do it if he was obligated to pay so he should pay if he's not obligated then he shouldn't pay what's going on so the Gemara answers that it doesn't mean that he didn't do what they said. Of course he did what they said. But it means, It just means that when he said it over, he didn't say over the halacha in their name, in the name of the people who were the messengers that were sent by the, to the Sanhedrin to ask the question. He said, this is what I accepted. This is what my tradition is from Shmuel Hanavi. Anybody who puts his life on the line in order to do the words of the Torah, meaning these people, so they risked their lives, they were on the battlefield, they risked their lives in order to ask this question to the Sanhedrin. So, so then the concept is that we're not going to say over the words of halacha in their name. And the, the idea is, I saw a pshat on a certain website, that the idea is that when a person, so he totally nullifies himself to the Torah, he kills himself in a certain sense for, over the Torah, he totally sacrifices himself for the Torah, so such a person has showed that he doesn't care about his own ego. His own self is irrelevant. The, the most important thing here is the, is the words of the Torah. So such a person, so we don't say it over in his name, whatever he says, because he shows that he doesn't care about his own ego, his own name. Rather, we say it over, as the Gemara is going to say in the end, we say it over as if it's a halacha l'mushimisina, as if it came from God himself. So it's a much higher level this person has reached, and therefore, that's why King David didn't say it over in their name, but that's what he means, he didn't want to drink from them, it means he didn't want to say it over in their name.
The verse says that he took the waters, he didn't drink them, but rather he dedicated them towards God, he used them for libations for God. It's good according to the ones who, who said the second two versions of the question. Since he did something for heaven's sake, meaning even though he theoretically had a right to do whatever he wished, he didn't do that since it smacked of something that was not okay. So we understand what it means. He dedicated it towards God. According to the one who says that the whole idea here, the question was, it had to do with whether there was an obligation to pay for something that was hidden, where it was damaged by fire. So what does it mean in the verse when it says that he dedicated it towards God? He used it to libate the water towards God. The answer is that they said it in the name of Halacha itself. As we said, it's as if it was said all the way back to God Himself. It was said, as if it was given over directly to Moshe from Hashem to Moses. So that was the concept of he dedicated it to Hashem. This law, in a certain sense, was dedicated to God because of the self-sacrifice of the people who went to ask the question. Now we begin the Mishnah. Let's say the fire, it started in one place and then it jumped over a fence which is four cubits high. A cubit is an arm's length which is between one and a half feet and two feet. So it jumped over a fence which is four cubits high, or passed through a public area. Rashi says this public area, area that we're talking about is a circular area whose diameter is 16 cubits. If it jumped over a river, Potter, there's not going to be any obligation on the person who originally started the fire because this is not something that's very normal for it to jump, the fire to go so far. The Gemara begins, That if it jumped over a fence, which is four cubits high, there is an obligation. Rapapa says, Our Mishnah is going from upwards to downwards. And it's saying like this, If it jumps over a fence, which is six cubits high, there's no obligation. If it jumps over a fence, which is five cubits high, there's no obligation. And coming down to four amos, so to four cubits high, so then there's still no obligation. Tana bra, but the brisa is talking about from the bottom up. We're, we're talking about from the bottom up. There is an obligation as long as the fence is two cubits high. And if it's still even three cubits high, there's still an obligation if the fire jumped. And until you get to four cubits, there will still be an obligation. But that's not including the four amos. So the Mishnah holds that we're talking about including up until the four cubits we're coming down six five four and we're saying that there's no obligation the Bryce is talking about where it's going from the bottom up and we're saying that there is an obligation but not including the four amas up until the four amas not including the four amas the four cubits there is an obligation Omar Rav, Rav says, Arba Amis Sha'amr the Potter. This is that we said that there's no obligation in regards to a four cubit high fence. Afilu Besadik Hutsim. Even if the place where the fire is jumping into is a field full of thorns, which catch fire quite easily. Amar Rav Papa, Rav Papa says, When we figure out how high the fence is, you go from the top of the thorns all the way to the top of the fence. And you don't count it from the bottom of the fence, but rather from the top of the thorns. Arba Amis, and you have to get four cubits. That's when it's, there's not going to be an obligation. Omar Rav, Rav says, Leishanu Elabekailachas. When do we say that there's no obligation? Only if it's jumping like from the top of a tree, let's say. If let's say it's a brush fire, it's running along on the ground. Even if it jumps a 
very far distance, it's gone a long distance, and it hasn't really jumped, right? So then there would be an obligation. And Rashi says we're talking about the case where we had this area, a circular area, a public area, which has a diameter of 16 cubits. So when is it considered it has to jump over that area? That's when there's no obligation. But otherwise, there would be an obligation if, it, let's say, it, it, there was uh, piled up wood that was going through that area, and the fire spread, so then that's pretty normal, and there would be an obligation. Shmuel, Amr Shmuel says not that way. Masdisim in that the Mishnah, when it says that there's no obligation, is talking about whether it is a brush fire. It's coming through that area of the Kailachas, but if it's jumping, let's say, from the top of a tree, a filukolshu punter, even if it doesn't have that distance, it doesn't even have to traverse such a great distance in order for there to be no obligation. Because already, if it's jumping from a tree, it's already strange. Tanya Kavasid Rav. We have a Brysa that seems to prove exactly like Rav said. Bamed of the Bryce is like this. When are we speaking? We have When it's jumping from the top of a tree. If it's going on the ground and there are, there's pieces of wood that are available for it to light and to extend. Even if it goes a hundred miles, there's going to be an obligation to the person who originally started the fire. If let's say it passed over a river or a shlulis, we'll see soon in the Gemara what a shlulis is. If they were eight cubits wide, potter, then again, there's not going to be any obligation. The Gemara continues. There are Harabim passing through a public place. Mantana, who is our Mishnah? Amar Rava. Rava says, Rabbi Lazar, it's Rabbi Lazar. The Tanah we learned that a Mishnah on Amar Beis. Rabbi Liazar, Amar Rabbi Lazar says, Sheishes Amis Kederach Harabim. That what's the size of this area, this public area? So it's a circular area with a diameter of sixteen cubits. We said in the Mishnah that if it jumped over a river, so there's not going to be an obligation. Rav Amar Nahar Mamish. Rav says we're speaking about a literal river. Shmuel Amar Irisa Didaloi. We're talking about an irrigation ditch. The one who says that we're talking about a literal river, there would be an exemption even if there was no water inside of the river. And as Tysus explains, because even though when it comes to a public area, so you need a d- diameter of 16 amas, of 16 cubits, but in regards to a river, we find that it's only 8 Amas, eight cubits wide. So, but since the river is deeper, so it doesn't even actually have to have water there. Since it's deeper, so then the, the fire is not going to be able to get across there as much. Now, because the issue has to do with depth, so therefore it doesn't matter if there's actually water in the in the river or not. According to the one who says that it has to do with this irrigation ditch, the tour has nothing to do with the depth of it, because an irrigation ditch, as Rashi mentioned previously, is only about an ama, one cubit deep. So therefore, the issue only has to do with water. So if there's water in there, then it's going to prevent the fire from passing over. But if there's no water inside of it, then it will not indeed be able to create an exemption from the obligation in regards to fire. We learned over there. These are considered a barrier in regards to peya. Peya means that you have to leave the corners of your fields over to poor people in order for them to be able to collect those things. So that's part of one's charity. So... Let's say a person has a field and you have something like a river running through it, so do you have to give those corners as well? So so that's what we say over here. If there's a river running through or a shlulis, we'll see soon what a shlulis is. So then it's going to be considered a barrier that you'll have to give those corners. You'll have, instead of only giving on four corners, then you'll have eight corners. Also another thing is a private path or a public path. Those are going to create a barrier. My shlulis, what's this shlulis? It's a place where Rainwaters gather. Rabbi Bibi says in the name of Rabbi It's a stream of water that gives out its booty, so to speak. It's giving out water to its tributaries. The one who says that this shlulis is talking about a place where 
rainwaters gather, so certainly it would be true in regards to a stream that's running along, because that's certainly a barrier in between someone's field and it would create a corner of the field that would be necessary to leave over. But the one who says that we're talking about a stream of water, so that would imply that if we're talking about a place where waters gather the rainwaters, that would not be considered something that's a barrier in the middle of one's field. The Hanu, because these on the 61b, Bagni the Aramik they're called basins of the land, meaning they're something integral to the ground. They're not considered something that's separate, and they're not going to be considered something that's going to create a hefsake, a barrier in the middle of the piece of land. We begin the Mishnah. Someone lights a fire within his own property. How far does it have to jump? Meaning, if let's say the fire is jumping from the top of a tree, as we mentioned before. So how far is there no obligation? The way that we figure it out is we take the size of a field, which is a base core. A core is between 216 and 432 liters. And that amount of seeds has the ability to seed a certain size of piece of land. So you stick him in the middle. If the fire jumps from the middle to the other side, so that's the distance according to Rebbe Lezer Ben-Azair. Rebbe Lezer says, uh, 16 cubits like the width of a path which is going through the public domain which is something that we mentioned on Amar Aleph for Bikiva, Amar Bikiva says the, the, the length that it has to jump is 50 cubits Amar Bishimim says he has to pay the one who lit the fire everything goes according to the fire Rashi explains that what this means is and at least in the half of the Gemara the Gemara begins with the understanding that what he means is doesn't matter how far it jumps close or far there's going to be an obligation on your fire we begin the Gemara but let's say Rabbi what? Rabbi Shimon doesn't hold that it matters how far the fire jumped. We have a Mishnah. A person should not place an oven within his house. Unless there's a distance between the stove and the roof of four cubits. And the reason is because the people of the town, they have the right to say to this person, we don't want you to start a fire. So make sure that there's a distance so that it doesn't indeed start a fire. Let's say placed it in the in the attic. So the roof that's underneath, meaning the floor of the attic, which is the roof of the bottom floor, so we're afraid that that might catch fire. So as long as it's three hands breadth deep, so then we're not worried that it's going to catch fire. And if it's a smaller stove, so then all you need is a hands breadth. If it didn't cause damage, Mishalim Masha Hizik said, and a person has to pay what he damaged. Rabbi Shimon Aimer, Rabbi Shimon says, The reason that we're talking about these measures, talking about four cubits, whatever, or three hands breaths, is only to teach you that if it indeed damaged, despite the fact that he did these things, there's no obligation, because he's done his best to try and prevent any kind of damage. Patim Mishalim is no obligation to pay. But what do we see over here? We see that Rabbi Shimon holds that you can talk about Shiurim, you can't talk about measurements, there are different things. So how can he make a blanket statement? at least the way the Gemara at first understands him, that if, it, if a person starts a fire, he has to pay no matter what. So the Gemara answers, that's not what he means. Amar of Nachman, Amar Rabbi Baravua, Rav Nachman says in the name of Rabbi Baravua, when he said that everything goes according to the fire, he didn't mean to say that no matter what fire you make, there's going to be an obligation. Rather, he meant everything goes by according to the height of the fire. If let's say there's a very large fire, so then the larger the fire is, the farther the fire can jump. So you can't just make a blanket statement and say, well, if it jumps 16 uh, cubits, so then there's going to be an obligation 
or, or less, then it's an obligation because it's considered miyuch is considered an extension of what the original person did, the fire that he lit. Depends on the size of the fire that a person lit. If he lit a very large fire, so it can jump farther. And we have to determine in each and every case individually. Amr Yasev, Amr Yehuda. Rav Yasev said the name of Yehuda, Amr Shmuel, the name of Shmuel, Halacha Gibshimin. Indeed, the Halacha is like Gibshimin. Vechin Rav Nachman, Amr Shmuel, Halacha Gibshimin. Similarly, Rav Nachman said in the Mishmuel that the Halacha indeed is like Gibshimin, that it depends on the size of the fire in order to, def- to figure out if there's still an obligation when it does this jump. We begin the next Mishnah. Hamadlik has a Godish. Let's say someone lights up, he, he lights on fire a haystack. And they were utensils inside of the haystack. Vidalku, and they also got on fire. Reb Yehuda, I'm Mishal Mesha Betaychay. So Reb Yehuda says you have to pay for whatever was damaged that was inside of the haystack. The sages say, All you have to pay is for the haystack and not for the vessels that are inside of it. If the haystack was made out of wheat, so you pay the value of the wheat. If it was made out of barley, you pay the value of the barley. How you get If let's say there was a goat that was attached to it, and then there was a slave who was near it and he could have run and then everything got burnt together so including the slave and who could have ran away theoretically so so then there is an obligation on the person to pay for the monetary damages because despite the fact that he killed a person since the person could have run away so there's no obligation on him to be killed on the person who caused the damage the person who killed so he doesn't have to be killed so therefore we can't say that there's an exemption from him from paying for the monetary value however let's say the slave was attached to it and the goat was the one that was next to it. And everything got burnt along with it, so then there will be no obligation. And the reason is, since the person who killed this slave now is liable for death, so therefore, once he's liable for death, so we don't require him to pay for the monetary damages. And the sages agreed to Rabbi Yehuda, if someone burns down a building, that he would in fact have to pay for all the things that were inside of the building. Because it's the normal way of people to leave things in their houses. But it's not the normal way of people to place vessels inside of their haystacks. We begin the Gemara. This argument that we're talking about, whether there's an obligation to pay for those things that are hidden, is only where the fire was originally lit inside of one's own property. And then it went and it consumed in the property of someone else. That in that case, Rabbi Yehuda says that there's an obligation to pay for the damages to things that were hidden with fire. And and then the sages say that there's no obligation. Let's say someone lit the fire inside of his friend's property. So everyone would agree there's an obligation to pay for even if there was something that was hidden inside of the haystack. If that's the case, this is it says in the end, that the sages agree to Rabbi Yehuda that if somebody lights up a fire in someone's house, then he would have to pay for everything that's inside of the house. And it says because that's the way of the people to leave it inside of the house. We could say a different case where the sages agree. When is it that they argue where he lit the fire within his own property? And then it went and it caused damage in another person's property. If let's say he had lit inside of his friend's property, then he would indeed have to pay for all of the damages, even for something that's hidden. So that's a proof that Rav Kahana is incorrect, because the Mishnah should have said his case, if indeed that it was true that they wouldn't argue in that case. Rabbis is like this. They argue in two cases. They argue in a case where he lit the fire inside of his own property and then the fire went and consumed in someone else's property. That Rabbi Huda says it's an obligation on things that are hidden when it comes to fire. And the sages hold that there's no obligation. They also will argue in a case where you lit the fire inside of your friend's property. Rabbi Huda holds to be an obligation to pay for whatever was inside of that was hidden 
inside of the haystack. Vafilu arniki, even wallets. Verhabonin savri, and the sages hold, kalim shedakon lahatim begodish kegoin moirigin. Uh, vessels that are the normal way to be hidden inside of a haystack, kigun marigin, for example, a special stick that was used for threshing, ukli bucker, or different vessels that are used for one's cattle. Who the mishalim? That's what you have to pay for because those it's normal for them to be there. Vessels that are not usually placed inside of a haystack, loy So then you wouldn't have to pay for those. For example, let's say someone's wallet. That's not something that you usually place inside of a haystack. With Hashem's help, we'll continue from here in the next daily daf.